Hello out there. Yup, it's that time again. Another episode of the Smart Prosperity Podcast. If you're a first-time listener, this is a bi-weekly show about the green economy in Canada, the current affairs, the politics, the business, the technology, and the ideas at the intersection of the environment and the economy. I'm your host, Eric Campbell. On today's show, Canada's Conservative Party is back to the drawing board when it comes to its climate agenda. What does a Conservative Party climate plan look like in 2022? We'll hear from the head of a newly launched Conservative-targeted climate initiative, Ken Bosenkuhl. After that, we'll hear a 60-second summary of a major new report, and then we'll cap it all off with our regular list of five other things happening in the green economy this week. That's today's agenda. Let's get started. A year and a half ago, we did a show featuring three senior conservative thinkers on what a conservative party climate plan could look like. It's important. All major parties, particularly those with a shot at forming government, need to have a credible climate plan, if not for the environment, then for the sake of the economy. A few months later, it looked like each of those senior conservative thinkers got their wish. Aaron O'Toole became leader of the federal conservatives and tabled a climate plan that was hailed by outsiders as, hey, not bad. But now all that good work could be out the window. Gone is Aaron O'Toole. Gone is that climate plan. Gone is the conservative party's standing endorsement of carbon pricing. And instead, here we are once more talking about where the conservatives Go next on climate change and what should be, what could be, and what couldn't be in the next Conservative Party climate plan. Well, to tell us more about that, I'm welcoming Ken Bosenkuhl. Ken has been a senior operative in Conservative governments for a long time. He was Chief of Staff to former BC Premier Christy Clark, Senior Campaign Advisor to Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and now He is the executive director of a new initiative called Conservatives for Clean Growth. Ken Bosenkuhl, welcome back to the Smart Prosperity Podcast. Good to be here. Ken, as I mentioned, you were on this show back in October 2020, alongside Mitchell Davidson and Melissa Lansman, who of course now is a a member of parliament uh, for the Conservative Party of Canada, talking about what should be in a conservative climate plan. In your words, what's happened since then for a Conservative Party climate agenda? Well, I think we've made a bunch of progress, despite what you may think about the current political situation in the Conservative Party at the at the, this precise moment. But I think we went from having um, a, a, a not credible, uh, but, a, but a valiant attempt by Andrew Scheer to have a climate plan. So he had a plan, he had a bunch of pages, but but overall people didn't think it was credible. To Aaron O'Toole, who put before the public a credible climate plan, and I'm also I'm also involved with a group called Clean Prosperity, which you know, and they've spent a lot of money on polling since 2019, and they showed that in 2019 it was pretty clear that the lack of a climate plan was a significant barrier to Andrew Shear getting uh, getting to where he wanted to go, hmm. and then. When Aaron O'Toole had a climate plan in his thing, a lot of people said, oh, he did just as well. But another set of polling uh, immediately after that election, a very large oversample poll, showed rather convincingly that the barriers to getting O'Toole elected were not climate. The climate was not 
you know, his credible climate plan was not a barrier to getting him elected. And so now we're in a situation where there's a bit of a fight over uh, narratives. I like to say uh, in political parties, there's a time to fight and there's a time to unite. And uh, leadership races are a time to fight for the soul of the party. And I think there are competing narratives out there about what happened in the last two elections. I've given you my narrative. Um, I think it, I think climate was a net positive uh, for Aaron O'Toole in the campaign. He made a tremendous amount of progress from where he started with. Um, and it was issues around the pandemic, not issues around climate that ultimately ultimately did him in. In, hmm. in fact, climate climate hardly came up in that election campaign. It was it was as I and many others have been saying, and as Conservatives for Clean Growth are saying, this this is an issue where we have to have a credible climate plan. And that sort of takes the issue off the table and allows us to talk about other things during the campaign. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what happened in this last campaign. Hmm. Okay. So, so as you know, I mean, all sorts of things have happened uh, at the political level uh, just over the past few months. I think Politico, you know, has talked about, you know, the month where an entire year happened. You know, Aaron O'Toole steps down and on I believe day one or day two after Aaron O'Toole stepped down, you launched this new initiative called Conservatives for Clean Growth. Why, why is this the moment uh, that, that this initiative is needed? Well, it's interesting. The caucus uh, actually had a vote and said that they were going to uh, un, un, undo their commitment to Aaron O'Toole's plan. Now, again, there's a bunch of different ways to read that, but I took them at their word and the leadership came out and said, we're in a leadership race. Now is the time to debate this. Uh, and now is the time to, for the party to have a discussion. And as I said a few seconds ago, there's a time to fight and a time to unite in politics. And we launched the next day. And uh, in the interviews I did then, people say, what are you doing? It's like, well, the caucus leadership said now is the time to have a debate around this issue. And we're here to have that debate. And we're not backing any one leadership candidate. But we will be uh, in, the, in, the, in the coming months thinking about different ways in which we can put out the message that conservatives need a credible climate plan if they're going to win in the next election. Hmm. And, and is, is the need for this debate, is, is this reflective of a split in the conservative party on the urgency of climate change? And, uh, and if so, how, how, how deep is that split? I don't think you can today be a credible political party, uh, have a credible chance of winning if you don't have a credible climate change plan. If all Canadians hear from you as a political party is what you're against when it comes to climate, they will be forgiven for thinking you don't take climate seriously. And I don't think I don't think the public uh, is ready to elect a party that believes that. Now, I have been saying for a number of years, um, because I worked for the master who understood this, Stephen Harper, that the central challenge of being a conservative leader in Canada today is reconciling the people who elect you as leader of the party with the people who elect you premier or prime minister. Mm -hmm. And those two groups of people live on different planets. Uh, They think different things. They believe different things. And too often our leader, conservative leaders will say, well, pander, that's probably an aggressive word, but we'll pander to one group, the members of our party when we become leader, and we'll pander to the other group when we run an election campaign. I don't think that's the right approach. I think Stephen Harper, right from the get-go, said to members of his party, the purpose of a political party is to win elections. Here are the things I think I need to do to win elections. Let me take one issue that was, was very salient then. 
on abortion. There were many people in our party who said, we want the Conservative Party to do something on abortion. Stephen Harper said, no, we're not going to move on that issue. If we say we're going to move on that issue, it prevents us from ever forming government. And that's the kind of leadership that I think uh, leadership candidates should have now. They should be honest with the members of our party and say that we need a credible climate change plan to win an election. And I'm going to build a credible climate change plan. Now, what the ingredients of that plan are, we can talk about more. But having a credible plan is is a critical step to the election of the Conservative Party. And our candidates should be should be saying that in this leadership race. Okay. Yeah, and I do want to talk about what's in that plan. Um, let's start with, you know, uh, the question on people's minds, um, which is carbon pricing. Uh, is, is the Conservative Party, are certain members of the Conservative Party, uh, have they dug in their heels so much on carbon pricing that that is just a, a non-starter for being part of a Conservative plan? Um, at this stage, or or do you see a pathway to it being part of uh, a conservative climate plan? So you can Google my name and find out what Ken Bosenko thinks. But I'm now <laughs> going to talk. I'm now going to speak as the executive director of Conservatives for Clean Growth, and let me let me say what we collectively what we collectively believe. I think number one, if you look across the country, you have a conservative premier in Alberta and a Conservative Premier in Ontario, who are putting a price on industrial emissions. And I think that that debate is as close to being over as possible, that pricing industrial emissions is the way to go on heavy emitters. Um, I think the debate within the party has is more around what do we do on the retail side? And Conservatives for Clean Growth do not have a position on what is the proper, right, or correct way to get in, to get emissions down on the retail side. There are some of us who feel we should be open to a carbon price. There are some of us who think we should use uh, clean fuel standards, uh, incentives for clean vehicles, um, and other things like that. So within Conservatives for Clean Growth, we are agnostic on the tool on the, on the tools needed on the retail side, we think there are a multitude of tools, but I think we all uh, we all foresee that on the industrial side, a, a carbon price is going to be necessary. Now, mm-hmm. which isn't to say there aren't other tools and incentives uh, on the on the industrial side. We wrote an op-ed, you know, the the tremendous economic opportunities that are available to Canada as we move to net zero include mining and you know Canada's clean fuels and a whole bunch of other things that we can benefit from economically and a carbon price an industrial carbon price isn't going to get you all of those things there's going to have to be some targeted investments and some smart regulations and some other things that are probably going to be needed to do that so uh, that's a very long-winded answer and I understand that it's a bit of a nuanced answer but we had a very vigorous debate within the 20 people who started conservatives for clean growth on this very subject. And, uh, and we said, what matters is that candidates and our party have a credible plan to get to net zero. Mm -hmm. What matters is that we position our party to take advantage of the tremendous growth opportunities that are available to us. And that's going to be our focus for this leadership race. Okay. Now, it's one thing to be agnostic about how you get those emissions reductions. But but what you're talking about is is with this group, Conservatives for Clean Growth, is is really trying to influence this upcoming leadership race within the conservative government, and and that comes right. down to specific policies, right? And and 
So, yeah. so I, I suspect it'll, there'll come a moment when it's hard to remain agnostic and you're going to have to uh, table specific yeah. policies. Well, wh- what well, are those? What are those policies then? Let me address that. What we said is any leadership candidate in this race that wants to approach us to develop a credible climate plan, we will help them do that. Uh-huh. I have already okay. put together three teams of individuals who, and not just individuals from our party, I have a lot of credible climate activists, credible climate economists, people that I've gotten to know over the last 10 years or yeah, a number of years working on this issue. I have a number of industry groups. I have, I have, uh, I have a whole bunch of um, high emitter industry groups who have contacted me and said, when it comes time for you to develop policy, we want to help. And my response to them was, has been, I'm going to be putting together teams. So if and when, if and when Pierre Polyev's team calls me and says, we could use your help, I'm going to deploy a team to help them. If and when Tasha Kierden, uh Jean Charest, Patrick Brown, uh, whatever, whatever the list is, if I have to come up with five different policy teams and deploy them into five different leadership races, that's what we'll do. And because I know there's not agreement within my group, it won't surprise me if the group deployed to one leadership candidate will come forward and say, here's what we think works. And the group that I deploy to another leadership campaign will come up with something that says, this is what we think is working. And those two plans are different. One could contain a retail carbon price. One couldn't, one might not. And I think there is enough. Look, uh, the, the Canadian Institute for Climate Choices recently uh, explored 60 different ways to get to net zero, 60 different policy paths. And so um, I don't think there is one path. We don't think there is one path. So conservatives for clean growth are not going to come out and say, this is the correct policy. That's not what we're about. We're actually, we're trying to help each individual leadership campaign come up with their own plan. And I look forward to hearing from each of them. Now, I guess it's possible that none of them will call us, but we're, we're free service and uh, we're here to help. And uh, I look forward to taking those calls. And, and, and you've got some impressive folks uh, co-chairing the initiative. How, how important is it to have Lisa Raitt and, and Jim Dinning um, involved in this in terms of, you know, attracting those leadership candidates to, to using the resource being provided by Conservatives for Clean Growth? Yeah, I think they, they both bring very important elements to the discussion. Uh, I've been on a number of panels now for a number of years with Lisa Raitt, and she she never tires of reminding people that she was trying to get reelected as a cabinet minister in the 905. And her view, her perspective, and she knows that I'm quoting her on this regularly, <laughs> but this is what she said when she called me. She said, I have to be part of this because when I lost, I lost because I didn't have a credible climate change policy mm. and we cannot win the 905 without a credible climate change policy. And that, you know, it's one thing for Ken Bosenkull, wonky poll reader, academic type, weird guy in the back rooms to say that it's quite another when a cabinet minister of the caliber of Lisa Raitt comes out and says, I lost my seat because when I came to the doors, I did not have an answer to the question. What is your climate plan? And when I explained it to them, they didn't think it was credible. Hmm. So I think that's what Lisa brings to this uh, this debate. We're uh, thrilled to have her part of it. But then there's the other side of it, which is Alberta. And uh, you know, I've I've been friends with Jim Dinning for a long time. Jim Dinning is not exactly known as the flag bearer for Greenpeace. 
He is a dyed-in-the-wool Albertan. He was finance minister under Ralph Klein, and you know he believes that we he believes that we need a national conservative government, and he understands that to do so we need to have a credible climate change plan. And he's not afraid to say that as a conservative of the Ralph Klein era. Mm. And so I think that sends a very powerful message to, you know, to the heartland of the conservative party. And uh, so I'm, you know, again, those two individuals say a lot about, about what they embody the two big messages. One, we can't win an election without a credible climate change plan, which is the 905. And two, this is not going to hurt us in Alberta. We actually need this in Alberta too, hmm. and so I think those are those are sort of the those are probably the the sub messages be, below the we need a credible climate change plan to win. Those are the proof points, um, and we have two people who represent those proof points. Okay, and and is the purpose? Do you think, or, or is the goal to simply neutralize this as an issue um, in in future elections, or or do you think this is a, actually? an issue on which the conservatives can outshine other parties. Um, well, l- let me, let me be perfectly honest with you, Eric. Uh, there are people for whom climate change is an existential threat and it's the most important issue that they could think about. And they're motivated to get involved in politics because they believe climate is an existential threat to the planet. And when those people look at the Conservative Party and they see the possibility of them forming government without a credible climate change plan, they think that that's an existential threat to the existential threat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't personally, I, I don't believe climate change is an existential threat uh, in the same way that those people do. In fact, I would even go so far, and I think many of our group would go so far as saying this is not the most important issue for all of us collectively. However, failure, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly in our top 10, probably most people it's in our top five. However, it is an existential threat to getting conservatives elected. And then we can't do those other four things that we want to do. It, it sounds like answer. you're saying, um, you're saying, you know, a climate plan is, is a bitter pill that the conservative party needs to swallow in, in order to get elected. Is, is that what you're saying? I think there would be people in the Conservative Party membership that would say it that way. I wouldn't say it that way. I would say every political, every every uh, credible political party in the Western world says that climate change is real. If we all say climate change is real and we want to do something about it, then we really ought to do that in a serious way. And so it's it's a necessary thing that we have to do. It's a challenging set of policies that we need to bring forward, and there are different pathways to get to that outcome. I would just say for a lot of conservatives, if you said, what are your top five issues? Uh, climate change may be on the list of five, but it probably for many conservative members, it's not number one or number two, or maybe even number three. Whereas if you spoke to members of the Liberal Party, I think you'd find this be to be a higher on their priority list. Mm-hmm. So I, again, that's just part of what makes conservatives different from liberals, and thank goodness for that. Ken, it's been great having you on. Thank you for sharing um, some thoughts about what a conservative climate agenda looks like and, and what you're going to be working on with this, this new group of yours, Conservatives for Clean Growth, over the coming months. We will watch with bated breath. Thanks again for, uh, for, for taking the time. Thank you. That was Ken Bosenkuhl, Executive Director of Conservatives for Clean Growth. For a link to that new initiative's website and to some of Ken's recent articles, go to this episode's landing page at podcast.smartprosperity.ca. 
And now over to the 60-second report. It's something we do every show. It's where we invite the author of a major new report to sum it all up in, well, 60 seconds or less. This week, we're featuring a new report from RBC Economics. It's titled Green Collar Jobs, The Skills Revolution Canada Needs to Reach Net Zero. To sum up that report, here is lead author Cynthia Leach. To reach net zero, Canada needs ambitious climate targets, policy and financial capital. But we need to recognize human capital is also key to our transition strategy. 3.1 million Canadian jobs in eight of 10 major occupational sectors will change over the next decade as the climate transition takes shape. Initial changes will affect highly paid, highly skilled workers more dramatically, with some specialized occupations seeing a significant shift in their tasks of up to 50%. The green economy will lead to job growth. Some 400,000 new jobs could be added in fields that will demand enhanced green skills. And in addition to these green collar jobs, 100,000 new jobs could be added in fields with stable skills, such as traditional skilled tradespeople already in severe short supply. Business is well-placed to continue to lead the upskilling of the workforce, but will need to find partners in post-secondary institutions and government policy, while workers need to be ready for lifelong learning. Read our report about how Canada can craft a net-zero skill strategy to meet our climate goals and unlock future growth in green industries. Thank you, Cynthia. To see a copy of that new report from RBC Economics, we have a link to it on this episode's landing page at podcast.smartprosperity.ca. Okay, and now on to our last segment of every show. We've covered Conservatives for Clean Growth Initiative. We've covered the new report from RBC Economics on green-collar jobs. What about everything else happening in the green economy? Well, for that, I turn to my colleague, Mike Moffat. Mike is Senior Director here at Smart Prosperity Institute. And here he is with this week's list of five other things happening in the green economy. Over to you, Mike. I'm Mike Moffat, and here are the five things that I'm watching this week. Number one, this week, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released its sixth ever report on the world's ability to adapt to climate change. The 3,500-page report finds that 40% of the world's population is already highly vulnerable to climate impacts, and the number of people suffering from water scarcity could double to $3 billion. Number two, the cost of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion just jumped up another 70% to $21 billion, according to new estimates. The cost overruns are in part attributed to last year's extreme flooding in British Columbia. Meanwhile, the Trudeau government says no more public funds will go into the pipeline. Number three, here's another 70% figure. According to the International Energy Agency, methane emissions from the energy sector worldwide are 70% higher than officially reported. The IEA says that's largely due to uncontrolled methane leaks from coal energy plants. Methane is a potent greenhouse gas, over 80 times more powerful than carbon dioxide over the short term. Number four, airlines and innovators in Canada have come together to form the Canadian Council for Sustainable Aviation Fuels. The council says low-carbon fuel innovation is the best way to reduce the airline industry's greenhouse gas pollution, while also making Canada a leader in this fast-growing space. And number five, 75% of people worldwide want single-use plastics to be banned as soon as possible, according to a new poll by Ipsos, which conducted a 28-country survey. 
Advocates say the results send a clear message to governments meeting in Nairobi this month to establish an ambitious international treaty to tackle plastic waste. I'm Mike Moffat, and those are the five things that I'm watching this week. Thanks, Mike. If you want to see a written copy of this week's top five list, Mike has, as usual, put it online for you. It's at podcast.smartprosperity.ca. Well, that's it for episode number 32 of the Smart Prosperity Podcast. If you just can't wait another two weeks until the next one, go check out episodes 1 through 31. They're all available online at podcast.smartprosperity.ca or wherever you stream your podcasts. A reminder that the views shared on this podcast are not necessarily those of Smart Prosperity Institute. We just like having smart, evidence-based conversations about the green economy. I'm Eric Campbell. I'm broadcasting from the lands traditionally stewarded by the Algonquin Anishinaabe people and from a studio generously provided by the University of Ottawa. Thanks again for listening. The next episode is out March 16th.